Merry Christmas once again, and thanks for joining us for Christmas Stories. I'm Eva Daniel, and we're here to share even more great Christmas memories from friends of Focus on the Family, like this one. One Christmas season, I called my granddaughter, Michalina, and suggested that I send her a pre-Christmas present so that when I arrived the following week, we could share the fun together. The three-year-old agreed. I sent a child's tea set. When I arrived, I found her positioned in the living room, seated at her personal table and chair set, waiting for Grandma. We sipped and laughed, sipped and laughed for about a half hour, and finally, the teapot was empty. I thanked her and commented how much fun that was, and we should do it again sometime. She replied, I'll fill the pot now, Grandma, and we'll do it all over again. I swallowed hard and with a reluctant smile agreed. She picked up the pot and headed out to fill it again. I said, Michalina, how are you filling the pot? You're not tall enough to reach the kitchen sink. She said, out of the toilet bowl. I promised myself never to attend another tea party with Michalina. She's in college now, and we've laughed many times about her famous Christmas tea party. <laughs> I love that story. And with three- and five-year-old kids, I can totally see them doing that. Now, you're not going to have a tea party with your boys, though, you know, are you? Now, you know, I don't, I don't know. What's and the equivalent? I... <laughs> what can they do to you? Come that on. is a that is a great that is a great question. I'm sure I'll I'll have to think about it. But we're so happy that you joined us again today. And you know that story really reflects that Christmas can be a lot of fun, but we can also kind of end up with, with some stressful moments with our family along the way. Well, we can. And I'm thinking about the stress I had one time, Eva, where. Uh, okay, so I'm the dad, and we do Christmas Day pictures. Everybody's together, and we do it. Do you wear matching sweaters? Or no, matching no, no, no. Listen, we have six kids, and there are some special relationships. So sometimes we swell to eight or nine all together, and we've got to figure out where we're going to take the picture. Oftentimes it's indoors. Sometimes it's nice enough to be outdoors. A few years back, we went up to Palmer Park. It's just a, a short ways from our house. It's a beautiful place here in Colorado Springs. I've got the mountains behind us. We're standing in the snow. We all have scarves and jackets on. And and we get back, and I'm downloading the pictures onto my uh, computer. And every single one of the pictures is unusable by my standards because nobody told me that they were all going to do funny faces. (laughs) Every stinking picture. Every picture. And were you there just smiling at the I'm camera? smiling all nice and normal. I mean, it was so funny. They they pulled one on me, and they didn't tell me, and I had to find out. I got stressed about that. It's like, you ruined our family picture. But, and of course, that became a memento of the day that they really upended me on Everyone's that. happy but Dad, who's, yeah. you know, not making the funny face. Well, you know, we had, we've had some interesting Christmases since we've been married because my husband often has to work on Christmas Day, which I know is common for a lot of families. And so one year, you know, we had, um, it was the first year that he ever had to work Christmas. And I was so disappointed because, you know, your expectations for Christmas can be, it's going to be this all day long celebration Mm -hmm. and you're going to be doing all of these things. And he had to go to work around noon. And so we packed everything in all in the morning. And it kind of made me realize that even if you don't necessarily have the whole day, you can still, still have good memories, you know, in the time that you have. Did you spend the rest of the day, though, kind of wondering, gee, now what do I do? A little sad, yeah, because everything is closed and everyone is celebrating with their family and their friends. And it can feel a little weird if your spouse is working or maybe you're not able to spend all of the time together that you normally would. Well, I hope if that's you that you'll uh, understand that there are other people in the same kind of a circumstance and maybe there's a chance for you to have an outreach to a neighbor or a friend or Go to the store and brighten somebody's day. Take them some hot chocolate or something. You know, just it doesn't have to be big. 
But it's, uh, it is a wonderful day, and um, as we build toward Christmas Day, we want to help you uh, involve your family in meaningful activities. Uh, we've got an online resource you can download right now. It's called Oh Holy Night, a Build Your Own Nativity Calendar. Uh, we've got that. We have some audio resources and a list of things you can do starting today to help celebrate Christmas. It's all at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. And we have more great stories from listeners and guests who share some of their favorite memories of family during the holidays. Here's a favorite memory from author and blogger Kathy Lipp. When my kids were little, we went to the mountains to celebrate Christmas with my husband's extended family. Uh, What we didn't realize was going to happen is we got snowed in. And so we had our little Christmas celebration. And then the four of us, my husband, my kids and I, we're stuck in this cabin. We didn't have a car to get out. We couldn't, we couldn't get down the big hill with all the snow. And so our actual Christmas Day celebration was spent in this little cabin. We walked into town in a bunch of snow to get a pizza. And we went to the dollar store and we each bought everybody a gift that was a dollar. And one of the things I found there was this little nativity set and it was hinged it wasn't bigger than a baseball but it had Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in it and I got it for a dollar and uh, we spent that evening talking about God's love for us and how God had sent his son to the world to this really uh, crazy mixed up world because he loved each of us so much And with our Bible and our little nativity set, we had a Christmas celebration. And I'll always remember, I love everything about Christmas. I love the decorating. I love the family time. I love uh, the food and the presents. I love all of it. But what that one day taught me is how much we could celebrate with just a nativity, our Bible, and with each other. And so whenever I start to get stressed out about Christmas, I remember that time together. And I remember how sweet it was to just for a moment focus on what God had done for us in that Christmas celebration. One of my favorite Christmas memories takes me back to 1993. I had recently received a promotion at work, which took me away from home for several months. Although I tried to get home as often as possible, It was exceptionally difficult on my little girl, Caitlin, who was five at the time. When it came time to say goodbye again, I looked at Caitlin and said, I love you. And she said, I love you better. At first I was taken back and then said, better than what? And after a moment of hesitation and a glance at the Christmas tree, she said, I love you better, better, better than Christmas. At that moment, I realized just how much my little girl loved her daddy. For what could be greater to a five-year-old than Christmas? From that day on, Caitlin would sign cards and love notes as well as verbally express her love to me by saying, I love you better, better, better than Christmas. We even created a secret handshake that could communicate this without anyone knowing it. This past June, I had to do one of the hardest things any daddy has to do. I walked Caitlin down the aisle and gave her away. After the reception, just before leaving for her honeymoon, my little girl wrapped her arms around my neck and whispered in my ear, I love you better, better, better than Christmas. 
as a bride, our first Christmas, I didn't have enough money to spend, so I gave my husband a 8 by 10 uh, Christmas card. And I gave it to him, and that's what we did for Christmas. We exchanged cards. That next year, I kept I kept it for the next year as a decoration, and so I put it out. And then the next year, I did the same, realizing by this time I had this card uh, three years. And uh, we still have that card today, and it will be 58 years old. And uh, I give it back to my husband every year as a... Uh, memento sign it and wish you Merry Christmas and I love you my children do it now and my grandchildren well it's really amazing isn't it all the stories that are associated with this uh, joyful holiday and many of them are so touching and mm. so full of emotion and we're glad you're uh, listening along with us here on Christmas Stories One of our favorite Fuller family uh, Christmas memories involves a trip to Peru. Mm. Uh, My wife had a long time desire for us to take a family uh, missions trip, and so we planned During the holidays? Well, not not necessarily, but it worked out really well just because of school schedules and two other families that we traveled with. We went to Peru, a small town where there was an old orphanage and uh, about 25 or 30 kids. And my children engaged these kids, and we timed it so that we had Christmas Day with with these orphans. Mm. And um, there was a real great interaction uh, with the kids. Along the way, uh, I'm taking our youngest, who's adopted, uh, Mm. back to the hotel room. And uh, we're walking hand in hand. I think he was about six at the time. And... um, and he looked up at me after interacting with these kids and seeing that, the, you know, they got simple presents. They didn't have any other family members around. I mean, it was us mm. as their family. But he looked up at me and he said, Dad, thanks for adopting me. Wow. And for me, that was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> what an emotional moment. And what a, what a wonderful recognition that he had that he used to be an orphan. Mm. And now he's in a family. And... And I don't know why um, I get choked up about that still, I guess because the import of bringing this child into our home and him getting it, finally mm. getting it. It's an amazing story, and we want to help you make memories with your family. We have a download, Oh Holy Night, at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash Stories, And that is an Advent printout that you can do with your family along with activities. We'll have a list of ideas that you can do to make memories with your family. We now want to share a dramatic reading with you from Jerry Camry Hogarth's book, When Mom Was 11 Foot 4. This is the story of the Christmas of 1963, which is when I learned what it means to be a giver of gifts. But this isn't just my story. It's also my mother's. My mother's name was Josephine Mary Knowles Hoggett, and sometimes she didn't make any sense to me. She used to say she could be really tall, 11 feet 4 inches, which, which is as tall as a real giraffe or, or, or an elephant with its trunk stuck straight up in the air. I don't need to be tall all the time, Mother said, but when I'm at my very best, I'm 11 foot four. There were eight 
children in our house. Me, my sister, our three brothers, and our three cousins. Our cousins lived with us because my uncle was away in the Navy and, and couldn't take care of them. Now, if you lined us all up by height, Mother would stand right in the middle. Even though she was a grown-up, she was really short. Just, just four feet, eleven inches tall. Now, I know third graders who are taller than my mother. How could she be eleven foot four? What I meant, Mother would say, is that I am tall on the inside. That didn't make any sense either. How could you be tall on the inside and short on the outside? Where did you find room inside for extra tallness? <laughs> now, I could understand Mother wishing she was tall on the outside, to reach for things in the high cupboard or wash the tops of windows, and especially to decorate the Christmas tree. You should have seen her Christmas tree. It was the best Christmas tree anyone ever saw. It was 12 feet tall. So, when Mother said she had to be 11 foot 4 to make Christmas happen, I thought she meant that she pretended to be tall in order to hang all of the ornaments. Only pretending didn't help. She still had to stand on a chair. Every year, she would wrap the tree in great big lights that glowed softly. Then she would tuck in tiny twinkling lights. Next came long strands of popcorn strings, and then the store-bought ornaments she got from friends, and after that, all the handmade ones that we brought home from Sunday school. There were paper plate angels with faces of us eight children pasted on them. There were plaster of Paris handprints so heavy they pulled the tree branches to the floor. <laughs> there were walnut halves with tiny statues of baby Jesus glued inside. My Sunday school teacher called each one the gospel in a nutshell. At the very top of Mother's Christmas tree perched a wonderful porcelain angel she had inherited from my grandmother. The angel was always the last decoration, and family tradition said it was supposed to be put in place by the youngest child in the family. <laughs> this was a problem, because the youngest child, my cousin Pudge, was too short to reach the treetop even when he stood on a chair. My older brother John solved the problem with a brass ring, a paper clip, and a fishing pole. He sewed the brass ring to the back of the angel's dress, he tied the paper clip to the fishing line, and hooked it to the ring. He used the fishing pole to lower the angel into place like a crane operator. When everything was ready, Pudge got to turn on the lights. And all at once, like magic, it was Christmas. Underneath my mother's Christmas tree were lots of presents. More presents than I could count. And that had to be a lot, because by the time I left kindergarten, I could count to a hundred with my eyes closed. <laughs> there had to be lots of presents, because there were so many of us children. Joyce, John, Jim, me, Joel, and our cousins, Nathan, Vicky, and Pudge. I remember the day I discovered where the presents came from. Back in the corner of the living room was a little door. Behind that door was a tiny room Mother called the Snake Room. Don't ever go in the Snake Room, Mother warned us. Why not? I asked. It's full... 
of snakes. What do snakes eat? I asked. They eat each other, she said. And spiders. And little boys. I wasn't a little boy. I was eight years old. I had to see for myself. I went into the snake room. It ruined Christmas for me that year. It turned out the snake room was where Mother hid her Christmas presents before she wrapped them. It's lonely knowing that on Christmas morning you're going to have to pretend to be surprised. So I showed Jolie the presents, too. <laughs> Who wants to pretend alone? Every year, then, it was the same. Mother found a 12-foot Christmas tree, covered it in lights and decorations, saw her porcelain angel placed on top, and made sure that underneath there were more presents than a person could count. Not that counting mattered. When I was seven, I found out that Mother didn't count the presents either. She said, You shouldn't keep track of how many presents you give or get, or measure the worth of a gift by how much it costs. M Mother, you see, was what grown-ups call a romantic. That meant she loved things grand and good and beautiful. She was extravagant, too which meant she never kept track of what a gift might cost. She said that Christmas was God's extravagant gift to us. Then she said, If God gives extravagant gifts, why shouldn't we? Then one year, everything changed. My uncle left the Navy, got married, and took our cousins back to live with him. My older sister Joyce and brother John grew up all at once and moved away too. Then our father left. We went from being a big family to just mother and three of her children, Jim, me, and Jolie. Then mother said we couldn't afford to live in such a large house anymore. So we moved away too. For the first time, there was no money for a Christmas tree, not any tree at all. Mother went out behind the tiny little house where we had moved. Some old boards had been left in a pile. With a hammer, she pulled out a bunch of nails. Back in the house, we helped her move aside the sofa. She took down the picture of Jesus from the wall and hammered the nails in the shape of a large triangle. She used more nails to tack up two or three strands of lights, some strings of popcorn, a few of the store-bought ornaments and some of the handmade ornaments we made in Sunday school. She added one final nail above the point of the flat triangle Christmas tree, and there she hung her mother's porcelain angel, using the brass ring John had sewn in the back of the angel's gown. Mother gave the signal to Jolie. He turned the switch that made the lights come on, and like magic, it was Christmas. It was different from all our other Christmases. It was the first time I ever saw my mother cry. Was it because she missed the 12-foot Christmas tree or because she knew that the only presents we would get that year were things we'd, we would have gotten anyway? Underwear, socks, t-shirts? I didn't know for sure. I sat down beside her and my tiny little mother put her head on my shoulder. In all her life, she said, she had never felt so 
small. My brothers and I made up our minds that this would never happen to our mother again. We began to save our money. We washed the neighbor's car for 50 cents one time. And we put the 50 cents in a mason jar that we hid behind the books on the shelf above Jim's bed. We walked old ladies to their cars at the grocery store up the road. Sometimes they gave us a dime. Sometimes they pretended we weren't there. Then Mr. Cavender, the owner, chased us away with a meat cleaver. He'd been cutting up meat to sell. We never went back after that. We helped Mr. Flory put up the lights for the Christmas tree lot next to his peanut stand. He gave us each a quarter for that. And we collected soda pop bottles and turned them in for their California redemption value. In 1963, that was three cents each. On the first Monday of December, my brother Jim counted up the money. Four dollars and fifty-seven cents. As soon as Mother left for the grocery store, we sneaked off to Mr. Flory's Christmas tree lot. He had saved a tree just for us. It was the only tree that could be had for four dollars and fifty-seven cents. We didn't care that this tree was shorter and more lopsided than the trees Mother used to find, or that it had branches only on one side. <laughs> we carried it home. Then we moved the sofa, we took down the picture of Jesus, Jim tied a string to the top of the tree, and we hung it on the wall like a picture. I began to hang a strand of those big Christmas tree lights that give off a soft glow, and then another strand of smaller twinkling lights. Jolie went in the kitchen and made popcorn strings to weave through the branches. Jim got out Mother's ornaments, and we hung some of the store-bought ones and some of the handmade ones. Jim put a nail in the wall above the top of the tree and hung our grandmother's porcelain angel by the brass ring on the back of her gown. Then we went into the kitchen to wait. It was dark when Mother came through the back door. She stepped into the house and hesitated a moment. She knew something was different in the house, but I, I don't know what gave it away. Maybe it was the tiny bits of popcorn on the floor we had forgotten to sweep up. Maybe it was that we were sitting in the dark. We were so excited we had forgotten to turn on the lights. I think it was the smell of pine needles. As Mother followed her nose down the hallway, we squirmed. And just as she turned the corner into the living room, Jolie turned on the lights. And all at once, like magic, it was Christmas. And it was the second time I saw my mother cry. I thought at first that she cried because our little tree was nothing like the 12-foot trees we had all those years. Then I thought she must be crying because she was happy. Or maybe because she knew all at once that we were going to be all right. I'm still not sure. But I can tell you why I cried that day. The three of us boys had looked across the room at Mother, and she stood up straighter. Each of us straightened. We stood tall, taller than we'd ever been, tall as we could. For the first time in our lives, we knew what it felt like to be taller than a real giraffe or an elephant with its trunk stuck straight up. 
We were our very best. <laughs> we were romantic. We were extravagant. We were, each of us, 11 foot four. We were tall and wise. For that Christmas, we received what Mother wanted more than any present she put under any tree. We learned what it means to be a giver of gifts. Focus on the family's own Bob Hoos with his interpretation of a great story from Jerry Camry Hogat. Uh, the book is When Mom Was 11 Foot 4. And uh, what a great life lesson to be a giver of gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's such a good reminder as well that it's so easy to get caught up in the busyness or the stress of the season. And, you know, not be really investing in your kids and spending that quality time. And so we really want to encourage you today to slow down, do something that will have a positive impact on your families like we just heard in that story. Well, a few ideas would be to set aside some time for Advent devotionals with your family. Uh, One thing that my in-laws do is every year on Christmas morning, we always read through Luke 2 together before Mm -hmm. opening gifts. And so that's a special memory. Um, Maybe go to Christmas Eve service with your family. We'll have a lot of ideas for you online. And as we've said uh, during these podcasts, don't expect it to be perfect. It'll be memorable in some way, shape, or form if you just start doing things. And uh, you'll find ideas like these and uh, the O Holy Night uh, download, which includes 23 family devotions. You can double up if you need to to get them all in here between now and Christmas, uh, scripture readings, and more. Uh, these resources are at focusonthefamily.com slash Stories. And we'll encourage you to join us here in a couple weeks. We'll be having Phil and Kay Robertson of Duck Dynasty sharing some of their favorite Christmas memories with us, which we know will be fun. Always a story to be told when you're around the Duck Dynasty folks. But before that, next week we have one more day of stories to share with you about some of the touching, significant things that can happen during the holiday season, such as this one from Dr. Walt Larimore. So I remember the uh, first year that I was in practice as a family physician, Uh, That Christmas, I was caring for a man in the hospital who was severely ill. I went in to see him, and his his breathing was raspy, and it was coarse. And he looked at me, and he said, Doc, he said, you know, I come from a different background than you. I said, I know that. He said, but I know that you know a God that I don't know. And I smiled, and I said, and I know that. And then I remember him looking at me in the eyes and saying, Doc, I'd like to know him. Well, Christ is the reason for the season. You'll hear more next time on Christmas Stories. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this podcast and uh, the work that went into it by our production team, please leave us a rating. Uh, Tell some friends on social media, get people to listen. And of course, don't forget, download Christmas activities to make it a more meaningful Advent season for you and your family at focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas stories.